My name is Arda Erturk. Um, I'm the founder and the CEO of DAOHub. DAOHub is a, um, we started as a marketplace for people to find new DAOs, explore and invest in them. And we recently pivoted into a B2B product where we provide AI powered tools to DAOs to help them, uh, to empower them to make data-driven decisions while uh, making it easier for them to uh, accessing data internally. And obviously like DeFi, Web3, you know, this area, although they're quite, you know, crypto kind of all separate, but similar veins of knowledge. How'd you get into that space? Like it, like, I mean, no one really grew up with like, you know, my dad was a DAO maker and I'm going to be a DAO maker. It's like a brand new industry. So how, what got you interested in it and how'd you kind of get started in that world, which is relatively new for many people? Yeah, um, so I've been in the crypto space for a while as a retail investor, and I also involved in some uh, small-scale DeFi projects. And while exploring like different verticals of the Web3 industry, uh, recently in uh, end of 2021, early 2022, <clears throat> I explored some DAOs through some friends, through some Discord channels, and I did more research. Uh, it was really uh, at an early stage. Um, for for that the vertical and like, honestly I still think like blockchain um, as a whole it's still at an early stage too, um, so I did more research on this industry and I really like the fact that it's changing the entire you know governance structure that we know um, like from the LLC like uh, this is, um, um, that LLC structure mm-hmm. so I really like that aspect it gives more power to their investors um, and investors are running the company. So I did more research. <clears throat> I explored some more DAOs. I invested more. And I talked to a bunch of other DAO investors and DAOs to understand their core problems. And that's how we started. And I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, from your perspective, obviously being in the space a little bit, what have you found the benefits of like a DAO versus I guess a traditional organization has been? Have you found that, especially now that they've been around, they're more popular for the past few years or at least past year, well, have you found that as being kind of some of the main benefits of them that kind of get past some of the common challenges of having a, you know, centralized leadership and governance that's typical within organizations? It allows different business models uh, to be explored. Uh, the business models that didn't work in the past, uh, now, you know, they're being executed as Dell projects. And um, I really like a few use cases, so it's like specific use cases of DAOs. One is for nonprofits. Um, there was a DAO created for Ukraine. People fundraised and everything was transparent in terms of the financials. So they saw, you know, what are they purchasing, how they're supporting, um, like all those funds were being tracked. And they raised a lot of money. They helped Ukrainians. And then recently with the, uh, with the earthquake in Turkey, there were a lot of different DAOs supported uh, Turkey. And you can see, again, like you can see the, um, all, like all the financial um information and this was something that i'm turkish and like i know that there were some problems in um some of the ngos we had in turkey and uh, recently we're actually hearing some even um, really really interesting stories about how those ngos uh, used their funds and they even sold some of the tents to another ngo um, instead of actually providing those tents to those, um, you know, people mm-hmm. who are in need for free. So we're hearing all these different stories, like through different articles. 
But the DAO structure actually allows us to see, uh, you know, more transparent pieces. We can see uh, what are they using the money for and like all the other relevant pieces. And it makes it easier for people to fund. Um, and <clears throat> the other use case that I really like is investment DAOs. It allows different people to invest in a fund and everyone is an LP. There's no general partner. There's like no uh, like uh, traditional uh, fund structures. Everyone is pitching and um you're voting as, as the whole group. You have the voting power um, according to how much you own the, uh, like how much you purchase their uh, token. And you have a power and it brings a lot of different people together. It means more, uh, you know, more opinions in the table, more experience, more hands-on support that you can provide to those DAOs. So those are kind of, kind of the uh, main things that I really like about DAOs. It is so interesting because I think you're touching on, you know, charities and non-for-profits, and that is such a common issue with them. Or once you kind of start researching them, it's like, oh, you know, 2% of the funds are going here, or, oh, you know, this person got a bonus, but it's not for It's such a messy thing, especially when I think for a lot of people, it's like there's a fear of donating because you hear these horror stories. Even though there's lots of good charities, it's hard because it's all private information, or it's, you could say is, there, if there is public information, it has to be, you know, the organization would have to share it themselves. There's no mandate or need to, where with a DAO, it's, you can't hide. It's public. Everyone gets to see and people get to put inputs into it. I think that for a lot of people I've spoken to with the industry, that's really resonated with them. Like, oh, a, you know, a good example. I think, I think for organi- like big organizations, it's sometimes hard to connect. Like, you know, how would a m- massive company run as a DAO? It's kind of sometimes too difficult for people to make that connection, but for a charity or not for profit, I think that's like an instant, like, oh, I get it now. I understand what the benefits are. So you know, you're, you're building in, oh, go ahead. And that, that's a really good point that you just made. Like, I, I don't think every organization is suitable to become a DAO. Um, if, if it's a community-based company, like, you know, it can be social media companies or um, like we talk about investment DAOs, nonprofits, it is suitable because the decisions that are being made by the investors, by the members, are the actual users of, of that product, of that service. So it actually brings more voice to their own investors, own members, to potentially, uh, you know, um, build a better product for them. Um, and the way we see, and maybe I can give you a little bit more context. So basically, if you have an idea, if you want to propose something, you create a proposal through uh, various platforms. Um, right now, the most popular way is through Snapshot. And when you create a proposal, other members vote. And if it gets, um, if, if other people also likes it, then it gets executed through smart contracts. So that's kind of the, um, like DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations, right? So that's kind of the autonomous piece and also like decentralized as well. Um, so yeah, again, I, I really like that aspect. I think what you touched on is so important is that I think we, we saw a challenge, especially within Web3, where everything became Web3, even things that made no sense. It's like, hey, I'm going to take this simple idea and then throw Web3 on it to raise funding when it, there's no value add. And I think that's a big thing like you touched on with. Just because we have DAOs doesn't mean everything is a good DAO or should be a DAO. And I think that's any new industry, any new technology, we always see that, where it's like, dog walking app now i'm a web3 dog walking app and then you say why does it have you web3 and it's just because the response would be because it's cool it's web3 and you're like what <laughs> no one answering the why but as you touched on there is legitimate use cases and there are benefits as long as you keep it within that scope and i think that was always the challenge where some people try to i mean i think it's worth 
pushing the boundaries, but just like any structure, there's things that work better for certain things. Absolutely. You, yeah. and, and we're also seeing a lot of companies, uh, Web3 companies, mm -hmm. launching their tokens with no value behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also one of the common mistakes we're seeing. But but it gets better, I think. Investors yeah. are also getting more knowledgeable about um, it's some, some about things, the industry, so they yeah. do better due diligence. I mean, I think especially with the change over the past year in funding, especially in the States, and I mean a little bit in Canada, the investor knowledge around this has increased quite substantially, I think, especially within crypto. I think, you know, a year ago, people were just throwing money at it. You put crypto in front of it, you know, there's stories of, oh, you know, if you just raise money. But now there's more knowledge. People are asking, like, okay, how do you generate profit? Where is the money coming from? Kind of what's that structure? And I think with more stringent rules around funding and kind of business growth, you get more businesses kind of having to take those extra steps to build a little bit more of a business plan rather than just saying like, hey, give me money and I'll figure out one day. Um, a good uh, kind of reference I've heard to this is the Uber approach to some extent where they were like, hey, we're going to use a lot of funding and one day we'll find profitability. You know, now the conversation is, okay, we'll give you money, but we need to know how you're going to get profit before we give you millions of dollars. And that's not a good or bad thing. It's just a change in the market I think is beneficial, like you're saying, for getting a little bit more, ba not barriers, but like a little bit more of a structure around it. So it's a little bit easier to understand and a little bit more uh, professional as a business in these companies grow. Absolutely. Did you now, obviously, you know, that you're, you're creating this, but initially you said, you know, initially this was more of a B2C play and then kind of now more focusing on the corporate or B2B side of things. What have you found like the difference being, or kind of what made you look at the not transition, but a different focus on B2B? Because I know typically a lot of times, especially within this space, B2C seems to be very popular. And now we're seeing the introduction of B2B. Kind of what made you interested in looking more in that section, or at least looking at both sections equally? Yeah, um, great question. So we realized that monetization in the B2C angle, uh, especially in the Web3 space, and especially in a very niche space like DAOs, mm -hmm. um, we realized that it's really challenging. <clears throat> and we also did a lot of customer discovery calls. We talked to a bunch of competitors, even big names, and they also have no idea how to monetize B2C. And when you look at um, some other similar companies, uh, competitors, there's no proper business model from the B2C angle. Mm -hmm. And we spend a lot of time, but we realized that it would be much better to focus on B2B right now and then later on explore opportunities in the B2C angle. Uh, because I, I still believe that there's going to be a lot of opportunities in, in that B2C angle as well. But right now, um, just uh, we don't want to spend our time and resources uh, with, uh, you know, uh, with B2C. We just wanted to start as a B2B company um, and talking to DAOs, <clears throat> getting feedback, and uh, potentially launch our B2C product soon. Um, but basically, the main reason was um, monetization. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. I feel people always underestimate how hard it is to get hype or like interested users to pay. Uh, I think in the business world, it's a little bit easier because corporations are expecting to pay. They're selling a product that like conversation isn't as not taboo, but like, you know, you call the organization, they're expecting, hey, this is a sales call. We're making money here. But when you tell a user to pay, it is very hard to get a free user to a paid user in that transition is also challenging. But also as I mean, I've worked for many organizations who work in both spaces, working with like one business to solve their needs versus a thousand, you know, $1 users who are all have different ideas and different 
support you need to it's just so much challenging until you have a little bit more of a i guess a business structure or a list unless you develop a product specifically for their needs so obviously you know running the organization now growing it did you always want to have your own startup or you know create a startup or how did you get into this space because typically i mean you know you're you're well educated you know you're smart there's job offers out there what kind of made you say you know what i'm going to take a relative risk to do my own thing rather than maybe getting the classic dev job or tech job and kind of just going that direction earlier in your career? Um, yeah, great question. Um, I was always interested in startups since high school, you know, seeing all those cool videos about them, um, like their culture, their office style, everything was really interesting to me. And, you know, as a high school kid, you like that kind of hype rather than all those cubicle style, you know, like corporate jobs. And um, I actually worked at Scotiabank uh, during my first year when I moved to Toronto in 2016. And it was a good experience to learn more about that corporate world as well. Uh, it was good in terms of, um, you know, like uh, it was my first experience too. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about professionalism from my manager, from other people. But it was really a corporate job uh, with a cubicle style office, really traditional, old school style. And I, I learned a lot. But when I compare all my learnings from, from startups, it's a really, really uh, small portion, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it was still good to see. And I can now make a comparison, right? Mm -hmm. And then I worked there for eight months as part of my internship program. And um, at, during my third year, uh, two years after my uh, uh, Scotiabank experience, I co-founded my first company, Roll Scooters. Roll is the only Canadian-owned and developed shared scooter company. We launched our scooters in many cities across Canada, including Calgary, Ottawa, Kelowna, BC, um, and uh, many other municipalities in Alberta. And that experience was really valuable. I learned a lot, even you know, from the first month. Um, like that first month was more valuable um, than eight months of uh, mm -hmm. that corporate uh, experience, I, I think. So, and that was my first <clears throat> kind of entrepreneurship experience. I really liked it. Uh, we went through Techstars. We um, got some acquisition offers. A lot of different experiences uh, that I that I had. A lot of opportunities, mm -hmm. and I realized that I want to stay you know, mm -hmm. in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And um, yeah, that's uh, where I am right now. And obviously, like, you know, that's some success going through Techstars, pretty prestigious. I know a lot of startups or especially like founding groups, there's always a discussion like, do we know, do we bootstrap, do we raise, do we go into an accelerator or an incubator program? From from your point of view, like, what are what are some of the benefits of going through a program like Techstars versus maybe trying to do it on your own or separate? Because I know there's always a discussion, depending on the program, some take a lot of equity, some require you to move. There's always like that, should we or should we not? From your point of view, kind of what are some of the benefits of it um, that you kind of learning, especially earlier on when kind of creating role initially? Um, the biggest, biggest benefit is the network. Um, networking is really important in entrepreneurship and in a lot of different uh, stuff too. So the network is bringing the most value out of these uh, accelerator programs, incubator programs. 
And uh, if it's your first time building a company, there's a lot of things to learn. And I, I personally still learning, and I think that learning experience will never really end. Mm-hmm. There's always new stuff, you know. Um, so uh, you need to learn certain things. Uh, like this is uh, this includes investor communications, you know, financial model, um, how to. Uh, keep your customers, you know, retention methods, mm-hmm. customer acquisition methods, uh, and a lot of different things. So these accelerated programs provide really good support in terms of um, these different aspects as well with workshops, uh, again, with their networks, with their mentor network. Um, so it was really, really valuable. And so this is my second time uh, building a company, and I'm still talking to a bunch of people um, and like a bunch of accelerators as well. So uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, the learning process never ends. And, and the most valuable thing you get out of these accelerated programs is a network. So, um, yeah, I, I still think it's relevant, even uh, that I'm building my, I'm building a second company. Yeah. Now, I think the network is one of those things people underestimate. Because you, you hit, you know, growing, I, you know, I did my underground business, did my MBA. Everyone always talks about networking. They're like, you have to network, you have to coffee chats, network, and everyone's like, ah. What's the point? It's so much work. It's awkward. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh, this is so beneficial. And then you tell everyone and you hear the same thing back. Like, I don't want to do that. It's awkward. People are going to say no to me. It's one of those things where every, it's like a secret everyone knows. It's like, it's like eating healthy. It's good for you, but it's hard to do. And it's the same thing where like everyone knows what you're supposed to do. And then you, you know, have a, especially students to say, hey, Brandon, I'm interested in this. How to get into it? And the answer is network. And they're like, I don't want to do that. What else can I do? Networking is always the best. And it's, it's always funny how everyone you talk to, they always speak about it, but it seems like a secret, but everyone kind of is so um, aware of it. Right, right. Did you, so. And interesting yeah, analogy, by the way, uh, with the healthy food uh, uh, comparison. I, I used to hate networking when I was in university, you know, it's so exhausting, you know, like you don't know what to say. Um, <clears throat> and I really don't know anyone who used to like networking. Right? Yeah. If everyone really like they used to hate networking at some point, but then later on you actually understand that you know everyone provides some different feedback, some different uh, perspectives, and you don't know how that person can support you. Um, so that's what I realized. You know, using every opportunity um, and like going to these networking events, like you, again, you don't know who you're gonna meet. Maybe you're gonna meet a potential investor, a potential mm-hmm. co-founder. Uh, maybe uh, if you're looking for a job, you might find an employer. So uh, there's a really, really good uh, benefit be- behind all, you know attending to all these networking sessions and uh, networking with people. It's so beneficial. I think, like you said, no one really likes it, and I think that's the trick people don't understand. Like they think, like, oh, you know, you're so you know X Y Z, you're so outgoing, you just love going to these events and talking to people. And I'd say like nine out of ten networking events our work. You have to go there. You have to be awkward. Walk in the, you know, meet people say, you know, hi, my name is Brendan. This is kind of bit about me. It's, it's uncomfortable. Some networking events are great. And it, it is just like a bunch of friends being like, Oh, this is casual. This is so fun. But like you said, most of the time it's rough. It's like eating as a child. I mean, I like vegetables. Now as a child, eating your vegetables, you're like, it's good for me. I just have to do it. You know, just hold my nose and just go in and start talking. And I think once you do a few, like you're like, once you get used to it, the awkwardness tends to leave. But I think also you kind of learn, I think starting out, you kind of learn who to speak to or kind of what to talk about. And that mm-hmm. you said, I think in, I think one of the big issues I found, especially with students early on, I mean, 
even through school is that you, a lot of people go to a networking event to try to get a job that day. So they're like, hi, I'm Brendan. I'm, I'm top of my class. Give me a job. And then that's just so awkward because the person there just like, I don't want to like, I don't want to talk to you. This is so aggressive. But then you learn like, hey, let's have a conversation. If we hit it off, great. If not, there's a ton of fish in the sea. Such a basic analogy, but it's so true. And I think that's a hard learning. But everyone you talk to says, even like people who are retiring at the end of their career, they say the same thing. Networking is important. So it's like, no matter the digital age versus the you know newspaper, it's always the same. People make you know people connecting people is the key to getting ahead, but also having these conversations. Right. Right. So to going from like role, which is kind of a little bit more of a, I'd say not traditional business, but a little bit more, um, I guess, unique or and going to like this web DAO type thing is quite a different. In, I mean, both within tech to some extent, but quite different. Did you find that going through this the second time, were there things that you found easier, harder, like different? Because I mean, they're, they're different businesses, but I'm assuming, like you said, some of the learnings would transition over. How was it kind of going through that process a second time? Was there things that surprised you that you realized were a little more difficult? Or was there things that you realized like, oh, I learned a lot more than I thought trying to do it another time? Yeah. Um, first of all, I was able to translate a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge mm -hmm. uh, from my first company <clears throat> into Dow Hub. So um, I think that was really good. But there was still a lot of things to learn. And I'm still learning. And especially mm -hmm. Web3 space is something uh, that you need to keep up with, you know, mm -hmm. every time. And like there's new things every day. Um, what, something that I realized after my first company is that I was really overconfident, um, you know, with the fact that, oh, like I, I had my first company, uh, we became successful, um, and I was overconfident and, uh, I, I, I well, I realized that, um, you know, it wasn't a time for being overconfident, but, um, instead like I should be modest and uh, keep building uh, different products. And this is one feedback that I got from investors as well. And investors were also asking about, okay, like, you know, scooter sharing, micromobility industry, and now uh, Web3 industry, like completely different industries. So a lot of investors had some concerns about that too, but I was explaining that, like I've been in this space for a while, um, like in the Web3 space. Um, but yeah, overall, I was able to translate uh, most of my learnings from uh, from uh, role to Dow Hub mm -hmm. in terms but, of entrepreneurship uh, yeah. skills. Yeah, I think that's one thing that like uh, a lot of the learnings you said are like inter you know inter interpersonal, like learning how to manage, learning how to talk to investors, kind of all these skills tend not to go away. It's something you tend to learn through multiple businesses. You, you touched on an interesting thing with like obviously speaking to investors and people. Around Web3, it's one of those things where people always say, like, you know, what's your experience in this space? But the space is so new. Like, no one has a PhD, I don't think, really, like a PhD in Web3. There might actually be a few people. But, like, it's so new, there's no expertise. So how, how, did, how do those conversations go? Or even, like, looking at, you know, down the road, like, recruiting and hiring, the, nobody knows this space. And there may be a few who do, but it's such a small talent pool. So how, how do you become an expert or not an expert, but like how do you get knowledge in something that there's not really a, not, I guess, course or like a way of learning. It's like all new. Was that challenging to speak with investors about how they may be hesitant after hearing, you know, like 
for most people, like they think block, you know, Bitcoin and Web3, the same thing in their heads. Or, you know, DAO, blockchain, all the same. You know, it's all this funky internet cloud stuff. How do you have those conversations? How are you able to garner gain knowledge on something that is so bleeding edge right now? Yeah. So I, from my opinion, the most two important skills in the Web3 space is um, one is being a self-learner and being a quick learner. Uh, you know, as I said before, you need to keep up with all the new developments. <clears throat> There's new things every day, uh, new companies that you need to keep track of, new technologies that you need to keep track of, like new protocols. So I think being a self-learner and quick learner, these are the most important skills in the Web3 space, I think. And when I talk to investors, um, like back in 2022, when we started, I made a mistake. The biggest mistake I made initially was talking to Web2 investors and convince them about the DAO space. They have no idea about DAOs. They have very limited knowledge about the Web3 space. Uh, so this was the biggest mistake I made. And then I stopped talking to Web3, Web2 investors and I focused on Web3 investors. Even within the Web3 investors, there were some concerns about uh, the DAO space, but <clears throat> um, some people, like you really, you can tell when you talk to someone and you, you mention about all these products, uh, whether they get excited or uh, they add, like you, you can tell from the questions they ask, from um, how they um, kind of give responses mm -hmm. to the questions. So uh, like these are all parts of the learning experiences, I think. And um, yeah, like I, I think uh, those are the mistakes I made and I, I learned uh, while building our initial kind of MVP. <clears throat> and again, like since then, I've been just talking to Web3 investors who are knowledgeable about the industry. So I'm not really having um, those previous kind of issues that I made mm -hmm. earlier. I, I think that was a, a, her, a pretty common challenge I heard was the idea that you know, if you're developing a product in a space the investors may not know, you're not only having to tell them about why your product's good, you also tell them why this space is good. So you have to double sell. You have to be like, hey, I know you're hesitant of Web3. Let me explain what it is to you. Okay, now you have buy-in. Let me explain what DAOs are. I have to teach you that. And then I'm going to tell you why it's all good. And then they're, it's going over their head, but it, this is so much risk for them. They're like, I have zero idea what you're talking about. And I hear that a lot with like, especially... Uh, individuals who are trying to raise or kind of have had success raising it's like finding the investors who understand the problem you're trying to solve so a lot of these like me you know good questions from them but simple questions made for the organization of like what's the point of the blockchain you're like this is this is so we're so like distant and more we're trying to talk about is a challenge i hear a lot and i think that is a learning like you said people had where you're like okay Money's important, but we have to find the right money from people who understand the problem, who are willing to understand why it's good versus not. And especially if you have, like, bringing advisors on board, I always hear about that. People are like, you know, you have a lot of experience within maybe the Web2 space. Let's bring you on for a Web3 project. And for some people, it's great to have that knowledge. But for others, it's, you're like fighting, it's like fighting an uphill battle. And it's always interesting to say, like, kind of learn of getting the right people on board who understand the problem you're trying to solve. Cause not everyone will understand it. And the product's not for everyone, but finding the right people is the key uh, yeah. for many things in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So a little bit of a, not a controversial question, but an interesting question around entrepreneurship is, you know, you went to school, you did, I'm assuming you, did you graduate? I did. did okay. 
So you graduated. Big thing in entrepreneurship is you'll need to go to school for this. You know, school. There's two camps. I'm. I went to school twice. So I. I love school. I, I enjoyed school. I guess I loved learning and I liked education. If it was helpful for me. Do you find that I know a lot of people are kind of on that boat where like drop out of school, start your company, and other people are saying no, you know, get your degree, get some knowledge to your company. Did you find? I mean, difference between me and you is I kind of like the business path where there's no real learning. It's like learning how to talk and like it's not. I'm not, I don't have technical skills, you could say. I'm, you know, my schooling was more develop, uh, developing soft skills or generalistic knowledge where you kind of go more to the dev side. There's a little bit more of a strategy behind it. Did you find schooling helpful for you starting a business or did you find that it was useful but not you would still be in the same space even if you didn't go to, go to university? I have some strong opinions about, Ooh, okay. about this. So I did a technical uh, field. Uh, it was machine learning and data science, but I actually learned all the, pretty much all the technical skills by myself. Mm -hmm. um, but school was really important in terms of uh, some soft skills. In, uh, for example, uh, critical thinking, problem solving skills. And I don't think you would get these skills by yourself. Like you need to still get some, <clears throat> some education, you know, like uh, university is mostly theory mm -hmm. like from my, from my experience, from yeah. what I've seen, but it gives you that problem solving and critical thinking and some of other, some other soft skills that is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, there's also networking aspects. I met my first co-founder uh, for my scooter, co scooter company uh, through <laughs> networking at school. So there are a lot of different values, but I still think that, uh, you know, people should get their degree. Um, this also shows some commitment, I would mm -hmm. say. So, yeah. Um, but, but I also respect, you know, people who are thinking that, oh, I don't need to, you know, study this and I can just start my own company. I respect, but I think from my own experiences, I, I think it's the best. And it also shows commitment, as I said, mm -hmm. um, to get those soft skills um, ready for your company, to build it on a more, you know, find, uh, like you build a foundation first and then build on top of that. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's, I, that's I, my opinion. I think you really hit the nail on the head there with, I think, I think one of the big issues people have with school in general is that like, what I'm going to do for my job, I'm not going to learn at school typically. Like I'm, you know, if I'm doing, I'm not going to learn how to do sales at school or even for law development, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm learning how to pro program in school, but the development skills I need for a job or certain company is so dramatically different. But I think like you said, where the value for a lot of people comes from is that critical thinking, getting tested, like being humbled a little bit when there's a hundred other students in the class who are as smart as you, or some people are smarter than you're like, Oh, I am not special. There is people who know more. I kind of have to like learn how to negotiate or talk with other people or kind of battle ideas. I think that's the value. Um, I, I guess I'm a big proponent of schooling and education. I also think that you can get a similar skill set from, like you said, like working, like just working or doing some other things. But um, it's always an interesting thing because I think it, it's always dependent on your on your experience. Like if you never went to school and were successful, you're like, why would I ever need school? But it's hard to say, like, if I went, if I did get the education, would I be better? Would I be worse? Nobody knows. And I think yeah. it's it's always nice to have like aggressive headlines, like 
university is a waste of money. Don't go because it sounds cool. You're like, ah, yeah, like that's edgy. It's really boring to say, hey, you know what I found useful? That was funny enough. I was talking to someone who was a PhD and he said like, oh, I, my business is very technical, but PhD helped me. But it's really annoying to tell a kid when they're 20 years old who wants to get rich, hey, go to school for 10 years and then you'll have, you'll be an expert at something. It's just not, the idea is just not fun to be like, oh, it's a lot of work. But I mean, as you've experienced, as many others, starting a business typically takes many years. It's not overnight success. It's many years, many trials, and then eventually you have success and people keep coming to you saying, wow, you know, your overnight success is great. And you're like, I've been spending five years of my life building this to get to a point that is visible for others to start getting attention. So, I mean, that, I mean, that was a great uh, kind of perspective you had, because I think it, for me, I found very similar. And I think for many others, it's the same way. Was there ever a inkling to drop out of school to start the, like, full-time in the business? Or were you ever like thinking early on in the days, like, hey, I'm just going to drop out and this is all I'm going to focus on? Or were you like, nah, I need, kind of, I, I need to do both? University was not easy for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, overall, uh, really stressful. Like, I remember all those times. And I'm not planning to go back. But mm-hmm. I never really thought about dropping out. Interesting. Um, yeah, but but it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Nothing is easy. I think I think that's the key. I think nothing, nothing in life is really to be successful at anything. Nothing in life is easy. But that you know that's an interesting perspective because I always I know some especially creating or looking into the entrepreneurship space during school. There's always that like, you know, do I leave? Do I continue? It's always an interesting conversation because I think some people have that dilemma where they're like, you know, should I go all in on this now? And I think for most obviously personal preference and kind of where you are at the business, but it was interesting how to hear your perspective of mm-hmm. doing both. Cause for you, especially like kind of starting these businesses really close to graduation. So there wasn't much of a, you know, you were thinking of this at the time. It wasn't like, you know, I created a business 20 years after graduating. So school was so disconnected. So I think it's interesting hearing from your view being so like close together. Like it, you remember those days. I still remember my undergrad, but it was almost a, decade ago which makes me feel old but like it's one of those things where it's i can't even remember back then it was 2011 in waterloo metallic was technically down the street at waterloo university so like the industry you're working in right now didn't exist and i was in the tech core of waterloo tech (laughs) i think back then the cool thing was ai ai wasn't a thing yet but it was like um uh no not augmented reality like pebble like smart watches, oh, yeah. smart, yeah. smart stuff. That was the craze. There was, everyone was in mechatronics being like, and apps, apps became cool. People like, I'm making an app. I remember sitting down being like, I'm making a million dollars this weekend. I'm going to create an app. It's going to become number one on the app store and be rich. Very hard to do. I learned very quickly. Uh, success takes time and you have to have a lot of work there, but for sure, interesting times. Now, yes, yes. you know, you're growing your business. Things are going well, kind of as you look forward into the future, what are, and especially being in an industry that is pretty new, kind of how do you prepare for the future? Kind of, do you have a, I guess, five-year plans are always challenging because who knows what five years is going to be, but how do you kind of start preparing for the future for a industry that's pretty new, for a business that's pretty new, kind of like new in an industry? How do you kind of plan ahead when there's so much uncertainty? Yeah. Um, it's a niche space and it's a new space. So uh, there are some risks involved. 
and we're always keeping track of the trends uh, you know uh, what is new um, in terms of the DAOs and in terms of you know overall mar market and we're always <clears throat> talking to our clients at DAOs also DAO investors to understand if there's a if there's anything new in terms of um, uh, in, in terms of their investment pattern in terms of um, how they manage their you know DAOs and, and all those different uh, questions and that's how we're kind of um, <clears throat> staying up to date just mm -hmm. you know uh, talking to them uh, and also meeting a lot of different DAOs meeting other people uh, at networking events parties um, so that's pretty much yeah how we kind of uh, like keep track of the trends and <clears throat> if again like it's a rare new space and mm -hmm. there are a lot of risks involved honestly mm -hmm. uh, we're always we're kind of positioning ourselves as a B2B SaaS platform. So, you know, with the current tools we have, we can actually pivot to uh, many different verticals. Um, so that's why I think we're in a good spot uh, in that sense. Uh, yeah. Not, and I think like your, your point of view is great. I think like you said, you always have to be learning and staying humble. I think is like the two big things, really the big takeaways as well, because in a new space, there's always someone out there who knows more because they invented it or like it's a changing industry. So you constantly have to think of like, hey, where's the industry going? Kind of where's the market going? Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, look at anything over the past year, especially within this space, there's so much growth. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, two years ago, for many people, no one heard of a DAO. And now every business, I mean, when I was dabbling within the space every big organization was looking to launch a dow and i mean most of them didn't because like we talked about before they were trying to make a dow that made no sense they were like oh i'm a big corporation i'm gonna launch a dow about what i have no idea i just want to say we have one and they failed because it was useless it was just it's like when a, a company tries to raise money saying they're ai and they don't they're a ai dog walking app you're like why do you have to use ai and they just say <laughs> Because it's cool, and I think that's the same thing with many industries and kind of knowing, am I doing, I think the big thing, and companies I especially I advise within this space is, are you using the technology to do something, or are you just doing it because you want to say you work in this space? And I think that's very hard early on, be like, am, am, I, create, am I solving the real core problem, or am I creating a cool business, because I just want to have a cool business in this space. And I think you're doing a very good job of like, like you said, you're, you're solving a problem within the DAO space that many others are, are ch having challenges with managing the group, kind of managing everything. But there has been many, like you said, many organizations who are in this space yet. And you're kind of being the frontier and developing this new technology that is changing how these organizations can really manage their DAOs. Yeah. And, and also like the ones that, like the DAOs that know what they're building, they're becoming really successful. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of DeFi companies, um, a lot of nonprofit DAOs, investment DAOs. So if you actually know what you're building, uh, there's a really good opportunity in this space. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like that's what I like about the DAO space. It, it, it's similar to what is startup. Like you, you told about mm -hmm. the, uh, the Web3 uh, mm -hmm. dog walking app, right? As a startup, <clears throat> if you really don't know what you're building and like you don't know the utilization of the technologies that you're using, then you're not going to be successful. Mm 
-hmm. But if you're building something that's actually solving uh, your customer's need, then you're going to be successful. Uh, so it's pretty much the same, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just with different structures, uh, mm -hmm. like between DAOs and startups. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're, you're completely correct. You have to know why and what you're building and that it's solving a real problem and not just a problem you made up. Yeah, uh, which is always the big thing of building an MVP. So, right. kind of as we as we wrap up wrap up now, um, if people want to follow along, kind of learn more, what's the website and kind of how to get in contact with the business? Yeah, um, uh, our website is dowhub.xyz. We also have a Twitter account. Uh, our handle is dowhub.xyz as well, um, and <clears throat> uh, they can also reach out to me via email, uh, and uh, my email is arda at mefi.ca. Mefi.ca, um, and I'm also um, people can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and other uh, social media platforms as well. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Brendan, for inviting me. It was a really pleasure talking to you, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Mm -hmm.